I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. My good friend and colleague, Mr. Sean Latimer, who is usually here with us, is not here with us today. So we have two extra special guests. Yes, here on Thoughts on Money, you're going to have three folks talking money with you. Uh, We have none other than Mr. Blaine Carver. Thanks for having me. Oh, welcome to the show. And Mr. James Andrews. Thanks for having me as well. That's right. James, Blaine, and Trevor here to talk about scams. Uh, You hear this sometimes (laughs) where people say, I don't participate in the stock market because the stock market is a total scam. Have you heard that before, Blaine? I have. And what's your general reaction when people say that? Well, I mean, as an investor, I obviously don't believe that's true. But once you start to ask some questions of the person who thinks it's a scam, you, you get to understand maybe why that is. It so, usually comes back to an experience they had, right? An experience yeah. in the past, yes. And sometimes that they maybe, James, have like anchored their expectations on what they thought the stock market was. Yeah, I find a lot of times people take their expectations based on what they've experienced in their own life, right? I think as many of us do. And so their experience may be from a bad salesman, from a bad personal experience, watching others have a hardship, right? It it creates a very visceral reaction because it's very personal how your money is reacted uh, in the stock market. And so it's personal. And if it doesn't go well, you feel like you've been attacked and it's hard to recover from that. So I always think it's helpful when somebody makes that claim to say, hey, time out. Like, this is a good place to start. What actually is a scam? Right. I spent a little time on the internet this weekend. You guys have heard that term, the Nigerian prince, right? Oh, yes. Yes. That's like a common scam. (laughs) So I went back and I started to read, like, where did that come from? And it started to go into some history of, like, 18th century, like, letter from Jerusalem and all these different uh, history of scams, right? So uh, I found it slightly interesting. But what that scam was specifically known for is it said, hey, Blaine, there's this big amount of money that uh, is available. It just needs to be unlocked. So therefore, I need you to send me a small amount of money so I can unlock this big amount of money. And then I am going to share in the profits with you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it it really hits on our ability as humans to have the, well, the two emotions, fear and greed, right? Whether we're investors in the stock market or just in general, there's, there's fear and there's greed. And so as far as the greed aspect, we we hear this opportunity, right? We think opportunity. We think we can give a small amount of something and we can get this huge return in a short amount of time. And I think when you talk about scams and investing, it often is a mismatch in time horizons, mm-hmm. right? Because if you look at the chart of the stock market, uh, whether it doesn't really matter what index you look at, over a long enough time period, the, the chart is generally up and to the right, mm-hmm. right? However, if someone thinks that they're going to get that every year, obviously that's not going to happen. And if they sell before they've let the time go on long enough, then it can lead to disappointment. There's this gap between averages and experiences, right? So what you're saying is that, hey, if you stay invested long enough in a well-diversified portfolio, the general conclusion, if I grab my finance textbook, would be that a chart would show up and to the right. But when you zoom in on that chart, there's peaks and valleys, mm-hmm. which really tap into uh, our emotions of either the euphoria on the upside of the mountain yeah. or when you're in the depths of the valley of like just fear, mm-hmm. like this deep fear. Yeah, I found that true in my own life as well, right? You know, we're in this industry, we do this quite commonly every day for clients. 
And it, it's a human reaction, right? When the stock market goes up and to the right, you feel like you're a genius and you made the move that no one else saw. And when it goes down and to the left, you're not so happy about yourself. You have second guesses. And so the, the feedback loop is to put yourself in a position to have more euphoria than negative reactions. And so when you see the Nigerian prince crawl into your inbox <laughs> with this deal that just seems like perfect just for you, it's hard to miss right? You, you want to see where this goes. And part of you knows, maybe this is a scam. Maybe this isn't really what I want. But the hope of hitting it big and the, the joy and the, the dopamine you get from that, it, it's, it's enticing. It's hard to say no to that. You want to just see what the next step looks like and crawl down that rabbit hole just a little bit. <laughs> and it almost seems like sometimes we're, we're not perfect, right? But if we've touched that stove once or twice, yeah. we've kind of learned our lesson. So now, you know, 23 years into the age of the internet mm -hmm. uh, and we see something that even says the word Nigerian prince. We're like, oh, <laughs> I know what to do. Hit the yeah. delete button, right? But scammers are always changing their colors yeah. and they're coming with new approaches. And one of the little small analogies I make in the article was a fish will always go for the bait, right? Because maybe they are not as thoughtful as humans, but mm. it seems like free food. Mm -hmm. And the problem is when it seems like free food, it means that there's danger hidden behind it. So where I was going with that is that when you're dealing with these scams, you have an understanding that when I wanted to get something for nothing, uh, it ended in a bad result. So it almost means that when you come into being an investor, I love that Blaine's been using that word. When you come into being an investor, you have to anchor in the right expectations. And one of the things I wanted to zoom in on the article was you have to understand, are you an investor or are you a speculator, mm -hmm. right? And where I'm trying to draw that line is an investor cares a lot about the profits of the underlying company mm -hmm. and the sustainability of those profits, right? Other key financial metrics are driving that person to believe that this is an attractive investment. On the other side of the coin, speculators care very little about the underlying fundamentals. They are more interested in playing a game of hot potato. Yeah. As long as they can toss that potato and not be caught with it in their hands when the music ends, it can be profitable for them. Mm -hmm. It depends a lot on timing, and it depends a lot on the growing popularity and less about the growing profits of that underlying company. Yeah, I think this is common, especially in today's day and age, right? We think about um, trends that are coming out with investing in cryptocurrencies and things of that nature, where some investors are are very diligent, right? And understanding mm -hmm. the underlying technology, trying to understand where it's going and, and what the applications are, right? There's a level of due diligence that takes place, right? That's an investor mindset, trying to find value in an investment. A lot of folks see the shiny object, hear of their friend who made two times whatever that <laughs> amount is and wants to jump in and ride the wave, right? And that's a different methodology than understanding what the investment is and having a, a level of conviction on where it's going. I like the way Benjamin Graham said it. He is the famed professor from Columbia University that taught none other than Mr. Warren Buffett. Mm -hmm. And he put it very simply. He said, an investment operation is one which upon through analysis, promises, safety of principle, and an adequate return. Operations not meeting these requirements are speculative. Mm -hmm. So I think investors will accuse the stock market of being a scam because they were posturing as a speculator and not an investor. Mm -hmm. And I think the dangerous thing with 
speculation is that sometimes it works mm. for a time period, right? You, you hit on it, James. Uh, you know, maybe their money doubled or quadrupled in a short period of time. Maybe they did that twice. And so they think they can do that on, on a repetitive basis. And the tough part is you don't know when that hot potato is going to end, right? The, the, I think the finance term for it is the greater fool theory, right? You're, you're uh, passing on the baton of this investment or speculation to the greater fool, not believing in the underlying fundamental value of the investment, but in believing that somebody else is willing to pay more for it. So that's the tricky part is sometimes it, it does work for a period of time and it's hard to convince those speculators that it might be a speculation, not an investment. Yeah. And we've all heard the statistics about small businesses, right? Like within the first 12 months, like 80% of them fail Mm -hmm. or whatever. There's probably some really good statistics that we've never heard about regarding professional gamblers, right? People probably go into that endeavor thinking, hey, I've picked a couple good football games and I think Mm -hmm. I have this magic touch and I have this gut. And until they meet financial ruin face to face, that uh, hubris will probably still exist. Something Sean Latimer and I talk about on this podcast quite often is doing well your first time at speculating is actually probably the worst Mm -hmm. thing that could happen because when you are willing to wager $1, now your confidence is leading you to wager $2. And again, the, the financial lesson that will have to be had there will be more costly as you are putting more on the line. Yeah. I think of a, a common, um, words of wisdom from the great Mike Tyson. Mm. <laughs> Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, mm-hmm. right? Um, everyone's got a great investment idea. Everyone has a great approach. And then interest rates go up you know, for a given year, and that's different than what you expect. And so understanding the flow of events and having conviction that can go beyond the ups and downs is hard. And if you're in the world of speculation, you don't have solid ground, a foundation which to rely upon it's like the shaking sand, right? And so investing is a lot like building a foundation and growing it from there. It takes time and patience and it takes a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I think if I was listening to this podcast, I'd want to ask, it would still feel murky to me. It's like, okay, I get it. An investor who I want to be has this idea that they will lean on financial metrics. Maybe that is profits, right? It could be other metrics as well. But now, like, unpack for me, if I'm not going to speculate, where do stock market returns actually come from? If they're not coming from the tooth fairy, and it's not the greater, greater fool theory, mm-hmm. where am I actually expecting my returns to come from? And what we would say as investors is we're looking at improving financial metrics, right? Mm-hmm. But if you study the stock market, you'll understand that in seasons, some of it will come from what we're calling the fundamentals, And in other seasons, some will come from the changing in sentiment, Mm -hmm. right? That there's just an overall general stock market cultural feel that people are excited about risk or they are fearful about risk. So for me, it was always really helpful. Uh, The late, great John Bogle, the founder of uh, Vanguard, would describe stock market returns this way. He would say they come from, one, the dividend, two, the earnings that the underlying companies are producing, and three, the change in the multiple. So what he was saying was the first two are very quantitative, Mm -hmm. right? It's easy to understand in hard numbers what the dividend is. It's easy and uh, provable by just looking at the financial metrics to see what the earnings are. 
So then you start to see, whoa, well, is it predictable? Here's the part that becomes very difficult is the third thing he talked about is this change in multiple. And what he's saying is that you can look at the price of the stock market relative to the underlying earnings. And maybe historically it's averaged 15 or 16 times. And maybe sometimes it gets over its skis at 20 times. And maybe sometimes it gets relative to history cheap at at 12 times. Mm -hmm. So he's saying there's always going to be this plus or minus in the change in multiple. And that is where a speculator lives, right? Mm -hmm. Is they, they love bubbles. Bubbles are amazing because it means something is getting bigger. All they have to do is find the exit before the bubble actually pops. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as far as the, you know, you're talking about fundamentals and sentiment, the the two forces that drive the returns over the time, over time, the, the hard part and the frustrating part as investors is you never know where the sentiment is going, right? Is, are the multiples expanding or are they contracting? However, over time, you would expect the multiple to be at in between a given range, right? Yeah, it, so, it has a magnetism to go back to like mean reversion or whatever you'd want to call it. Exactly. So if the average is 15 times over the last 20 years, uh, 15 times earnings, that is, uh, you know, you'd expect the PE multiple to be somewhere between 10 and 20 or, you know, 10 and 25 over the long term, right? Uh, but the important part is that we as investors are doing the fundamental analysis. We're controlling what we can control, right? We're talking about the dividend and, and the earnings. What we can't control are the multiples. Yeah. And one thing that we can derive from that Benjamin Graham quote is he was actually assigning two things that he said were really, really important to understanding investment, this adequate safety, right? And adequate return. So he loved using this terminology of like margin of safety. Where is he getting that from? Well, he is then looking at the underlying business and he says, oh, they own things right? They own buildings, they own uh, intellectual property. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all of that has some sort of value, right? So he likes this idea that uh, in the worst case scenario of liquidation, there's some dollars in value and assets that exist there. And then he also loves this idea that there needs to be an adequate return because all of it comes back to financial planning, right? That you're needing to grow wealth to one, fight inflation, and in the future, create some sort of income source that replaces wages. Yeah, I think that's common too. Um, Just to take it to a personal example in terms of uh, inflation and and how prices can change over time with uh, speculation. My wife and I bought a house a few years ago. Uh, It was 2017, and we thought we were buying at the top of the market, but we thought, you know what? This is our home. We're never going to leave. We're going to buy when we buy, and let's just see where it goes. That price has continued to go up and it probably will in the future. There will be ebbs and flows, but the lesson, right, we took away from that was we don't know when the top is. We don't know when the bottom is, but we do know we own a home and that has a lot of security that if all else fails, we can sell the home and there is an underlying value there, right? Investing in quality companies is similar, right? Sometimes the valuation is high. Sometimes it's low. You think you might know where it goes and it might not go where you want it to go. But there are customers for their business, there are profits, there's a repeatable moat that they have for their strategy, and there's value there, right? They own tangible assets. And so when all else fails, you know you own your piece of that company and you can bank on that for a period of time. And that's helpful when you think about financial planning because at the end of the day, wealth are numbers on a screen. What matters is how that wealth translates into your life and your decision making, right? We're not looking to 
make the bank account as big as it can be at the end. We're, we're looking to maximize life. And in that regard, investing with companies that have a sustainable focus provides a level of peace of mind and the investment horizon that eases the discomfort of the peaks and the trials that maybe speculation can't address. Yeah, I agree. And you, you also see in, in the same vein of what you're talking about is the narrative is so quick to change, yeah. right? Like I feel like, I don't know the exact time period, but let's call it two or three years ago, you kept hearing this idea of lower for longer, lower for longer, yeah. right? When you're talking about interest rates yeah. and now it's so funny, you're hearing the exact opposite, yeah. higher for longer. Well, two years ago, it couldn't have been lower for longer if it's now higher for longer, right? Those things, those mindsets and um, perspectives, even though the words of saying long time horizon can roll off the tongue, they are so fickle and they change uh, quite quickly, which Blaine touched on this, you're alluding to this, but you have to be so careful of FOMO, right? Mm -hmm. If our emotions drive us in one certain direction, this idea of fear of missing out is so mm -hmm. yeah. incredibly important. Like I needed to personalize it in the article. So I kind of, in a few of my concluding paragraphs, I say, hey, this is what the NASDAQ looks like so far this year. This is what my personal portfolio looks like so far this year. Am I worried about it? I'm not. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not a speculator. I've already signed up to not be one. And typically the NASDAQ is made up of a lot of speculative assets. Like uh, I am not creating a unique point of view by saying that. So, but I have to unpack why that's not unsettling for me. It's because my financial plan trumps the importance of trying to outpace my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah. Yeah. I keep on coming back to fear and greed, those two emotions. And, and I'm certainly prone to that as well. Uh, you know, greed in good times and fear in bad times. And this podcast is not about diversification, but I do think diversification uh, as an investor is, is helpful because you're going to have years where things do really well and things do really poorly. But in those times, in those years like 2022, when most things were, were poor, diversification at least helped, right? Although on the upside, you're signing up for understanding that you might not be participating as much in the upside if you're well diversified. Yeah. One thing John Latimer says very regular on this podcast, he said, if there's nothing in your portfolio that is making you upset or uncomfortable, you're probably not diversified, mm -hmm. right? Because we know it. We, we, are, uh, we have a client-facing role and we typically talk to somebody and we can predict the thing that's going to make them upset, whether that's a, an individual stock or an individual allocation. And no matter how we frame it, you know, we might say, hey, James, I, I understand where you're coming from, but we also realize that's a 2% allocation in your portfolio. It doesn't matter because uh, one analogy I've made on here before, if a teenage girl has prom night tomorrow night and uh, she's the most beautiful girl in the world, but all of a sudden there's a pimple on her cheek, um, nothing is going to captivate her attention except for that blemish. So it is human nature. We will get driven to this idea of like, I wish every part was as beautiful as this one part in the portfolio, but diversification means something's going to be making you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, that resonates a lot. So 
I won't name names, <laughs> but it's common, right? When um, I do this for myself too, it also clients, right? Missing the forest from the trees, right? Getting so caught up in some of the details, you miss the bigger picture. So we've got a client um, who likes to review the statements, go into the details, which I recommend, right? It's good to know where you're invested in. And I highly recommend people do that if they have the interest and the time, but they'll pick out a 2% allocation and have a lot of stress over it and say, look, this you bought at this point and now it's at this point. What's the plan? And they'll miss the bigger picture that they're hitting their goals, their plan is on track, they're going to be okay, and the portfolio writ large is performing as expected. And so understanding how you make up the apple pie is important, but at the end of the day, does the pie taste good? Is it is it expect is it performing as it's expected to? And in that case, you have to be able to see the big picture. Yeah, and that's always a good place to go back to is that emotions are very driven by expectations. Yeah. Like Sometimes people will say, hey, the stock market is not moving, if we're talking sentiment, right? Mm -hmm. The stock market is not moving based on good news or bad news. It is better than expected news or worse than expected news. So we start to realize our expectations matter a whole lot. Mm -hmm. But the the real theme of this article is you have to sit down and just ask yourself one very clear question. Am I interested in being an investor or a speculator? If your choice is speculation, I truly wish you the best of luck. But in my experience, it's been incredibly difficult because that particular philosophy and way of investing just meddles with your emotions more than anything I could possibly think about. So when you understand as an investor, as James drew our attention to earlier, that you, even if it's a micro position, but you, you actually are an owner. Um, you are shoulder to shoulder with a whole lot of other people that um, own this soda company or own this burger joint. Um, you are actually an owner and you should operate and act as if you own that company. Granted, your neighbor, your neighbor's neighbor could very well come to your door and offer to buy a little piece of that soda company or a little piece of that hamburger joint. But uh these pieces make up a bigger puzzle that is your financial plan and that offer price on a particular date it doesn't matter to you as much, right? Mm -hmm. um, Blaine really hit on this earlier that to be an investor, you have to have uh, a really good understanding of what your time horizon is. And you have to understand where am I anchoring my expectations? You mentioned apple pie. God forbid that you would take an apple pie put it in the oven and two seconds later say, I'm going to taste it and see how it tastes right now. Right. <laughs> you understand that there's a certain cook time, yeah. a development and a, a period before it is ready and prepared to serve its purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and sometimes you hear uh, investors talk about their outsized returns one year, but the reality is they might have different goals than you. If, if you're investing for a short-term home purchase, right, we're going to be investing in a different way and maybe a different after asset class than if we're investing for retirement that's 25 years out. And we know this from experience that when uh, I'm, I'm using James as a hypothetical, but it's not really James, but <laughs> we know from experience, like if James comes back from a day of golf and the first thing he wants to tell us is like, oh, on the third hole, it was a par three and I put it two inches from the cup. It was amazing. This might be true. He might be mm -hmm. telling a true story, but we might bring him back to reality if we say, hey, what did you shoot? Right. Because at the end of the day, like the golf score matters uh, to some extent, but we know that we can just get so enamored with golf shots. And, and that one shot might have been 
2% of his entire game, right? Yeah. But in golf, we have a tendency to really focus in on those particular moments. And that's why we continue to put ourselves through that agony. Uh, in investing, sometimes we do both, right? We might agonize over a 2% position, or we might brag to friends about um, this particular investment return. But the end of the day, that that portfolio actually should be subordinated to the financial plan, mm-hmm. right? It needs to be obedient to the financial plan. Uh, it works for the financial plan. So all of these little golf shot stories really fade into the background when we start to talk about, hey, what purpose is this supposed to serve? What's the ultimate objective? And even going further, like you're talking about, like when it gets to legacy planning and some of those things as mm-hmm. well. So we have covered this topic from every angle and uh, I really enjoyed the discussion and I will go starting with you, James, and then you, Blaine, just with any final thoughts you'd like to share. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. So final thoughts when you think about investing is big picture matters. Um, It matters a whole lot, right? And so knowing what that big picture is, Blaine mentioned this earlier, and I think it's really important, which is we're all different. We all have different goals in life. We all have different fears and dreams and and knowing where you're trying to go is really important. And that's why working with an advisor is helpful, right? We can ask those right questions to guide you in the way that you want to go. Once you know that the money is fuel to get you there, it's nothing more than the gas in the tank that gets the car to where you want it to go. And investing is subordinate to that, as you pointed out so well, right? It's there to serve a purpose. And when that purpose is fulfilled, it's done. I like that. Very succinct, concise, and comes from somebody that does this for a living. So, <laughs> Blaine? Yeah, I think with, with social media and just the internet in general, it's it's easy to, to hear about these success stories. And we hear about a success story and, and we want to jump on board. But the reality is you never hear about the stories that went south, right? Nobody's going to put on social media that they invested in this company and went bankrupt, right? They're going to post their success. And so it's easy to succumb to that. But um, we just have to constantly remind ourselves of our financial plan, of our goals, and invest in light of that. Um, one of my, my favorite verses is, uh, steady plotting brings prosperity. Mm-hmm. Proverbs? Hasty speculation brings poverty. Exactly. Proverbs uh, 21, I think. And so it's just this idea that we might not want to hear it, but it takes patience. It takes discipline. It takes a long time to achieve your goals. And we want to believe that it comes fast, but uh, we need a circle of accountability around us uh, to remind us that it does take patience and discipline. I love that. And for some reason, I get this picture, and I wish I knew Greek mythology more. Uh, Maybe one of you guys does. Is it David and the Argonauts? I I could be wrong, but I'll tell you the story, and then you could tell me who the character, Jason, maybe? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, Jason. Brian Tong's uh, shaking his head. I don't know if this is the right story, but it's fine. We'll have a listener that will email in and correct me. But I love that picture of when he's uh, sailing through the sirens. You guys remember the sirens? Uh, mm-hmm. And he actually like ropes himself to mm-hmm. to the boat and like ear, I think puts wax in his ears yeah. right? and then blindfolds. It's like that's what you have to do as an investor yeah. is that there is going to be, especially with social media, the huge distractions yeah. that seek to – destroy and kill your financial Mm. plan and you have to go to whatever measure it takes to keep yourself out of making bad financial decisions like i wanted to write this article and i have some notes on it it's not fully prepared yet but just this idea that the biggest thing that will get you in trouble 
is just large mistakes. Yeah. Is that there's going to be, I think they use this in uh, in the Greek language, like those chronos moments, I think. Mm-hmm. Or no, no, not chronos. Uh, there's another word for time. Yeah, there is. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember off the top of my head, but just they, they actually represent like these moments where like, like imagine in a movie where it's pause and the music kind of comes on and it circles from every angle. Like this is a moment. This is important. Like this is going to lead in a certain path or direction. And something like March of 2020, when it feels like the world's blowing up and there's an epidemic, like, and the stock market went down 36% peak to trough in like 20 days, like that decision you make in that moment, like that could destroy five years of your retirement. You, You know what I mean? quickly so it's so important in those moments to have accountability to be able to go shoulder to shoulder with somebody you actually had a a podcast or an article a few months ago trevor about this putting some uh, a moment of pause or Mm. some space in between uh something that happens to us and our our ability to act on it um and, and i think that's that's huge yeah, it's kind of funny that we we live in a world of technology where you can sell a stock in a millisecond, but it would almost be helpful if it was like, I've seen people, an old coworker, she used to put an, a delay send on her emails. I don't know if you guys heard of that before. So she, <laughs> yes. so what happened is she'd write an email and she'd send and like two minutes later, she realized, oh, I, I, I should have done this or this. She'd go back because it had like a 10 minute delay and she would just take it off. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's actually like, I wonder if every time you hit on your brokerage uh, account, <laughs> like a three day delay, like if uh, it would change. I, I, I used to be a youth group leader. And uh, when young people wanted to get tattoos, I'd say, get it drawn up, go and set it in your drawer uh, and pull it out one year later and decide if you still want it. Because you're going to have it for life. So one year is not a huge delay. Mm-hmm. But uh, if your mind changed one year later, it's a lot cheaper to go through that process than the whole tattoo and then removal. So anyway, we've we've covered this topic well. We'll ask our listeners to rate the podcast. Uh, comments are welcome on the podcast app. Five stars are preferred. We appreciate you. There's an easy way to get a hold of Blaine James or me, Trevor, you can email Tom, T-O-M, at thebombsgroup.com, and we would love to hear your comments, your correction on my Greek mythology, or even what is that other word in Greek for time? We'll find out after this It's killing me. I know exactly what you're talking about. We will figure that out, but uh, we appreciate you. We will welcome you back next week where we will share more of our thoughts on money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. 
Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.